Today's scripture is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, the last three verses, and six of the first verses of chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. And familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thanks, Jerry. Hope you all are having a super day. (laughs) Today is the Super Bowl, as you probably all know. It's uh, after a long, brutal season, the two most powerful teams are left. It'll be a great battle in the trenches between these two powerful teams. (laughs) It'll be watched by millions around the world. Humans love power. A saw is great. But a power saw. Now that's awesome. Piece of sandpaper, you can accomplish some stuff, but wow, a power sander. And today you can buy the most powerful pickup ever made, a Ram 3500 diesel that has 930 pounds of torque and a towing capacity of 30,000 pounds. Cars are great, but man, this pickup. (laughs) As humans, we look to power to get things done. All of us do. We rejoice when our candidate defeats the other candidate and takes power. Or an evil ruler gets overthrown by a more powerful force and gets put out of office. And we expect when that happens that things will get better. It seldom does. 
and never for very long. But somehow we think power is the way to get things done in our world. And as Christians, I'm afraid that we often buy into that same mentality that the world throws at us all the time. We want God's power to defeat evil in the world. We want God's power to bring justice. We want God's power to defeat sin in our own lives. Maybe most of all, we want God's power to defeat sin in the other person's life. (laughs) So they'll treat us better. You see, man's way, the human way, is always to look for power to get things done. But the problem is, power is always coupled with violence in the world. And power and violence together, we look, we look for those to win the day. And too often, even as Christians, we're like James and John. Remember in Luke chapter 9, where James and John come to Jesus and say, Hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them, Jesus? He says, No. <laughs> You're missing the point. You're missing the point. You see, here in Isaiah 52 and 53, to remind you of the context, it's written by Isaiah to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. They're in a really difficult situation. They're in a foreign culture. They are oppressed. They have been captured in war. Exile is a hard place to be. And they so want God's power to step in and set them free, to come in and make things better. And in these last few chapters we've looked at over the last few weeks in Isaiah, God has been hinting through Isaiah about the arm of the Lord coming, the arm of the Lord. It's the power of the Lord. Just like today, we like to show our power by flexing. Well, it was, that was the image that they used, and the arm of the Lord is coming. And so Israel's anticipating, aha, we can't wait to hear about this arm of the Lord that's going to come in and win the day for us. But in this prophecy that was 700 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy about Jesus, God says very clearly that my power is not like human power. My power is displayed in the Messiah coming to die for our sake. You see, the real power of God displayed in the world is not through violence and overpowering someone. It's actually through the power of love to set aside my own rights and put someone else above myself. And we are called to walk in Jesus' steps as his followers. So today, as we come to this passage, which is one of the most incredible passages in all the scriptures, it's one of the most important passages in all the Bible, we come to this and we need to open our hearts to see what it reveals about the true power of God. Pray with me. Lord, as we gather as your people today, we come thirsty Thirsty for more of you. We've walked in the world and we've tried to take a drink of what the world offers and all we get is dry mouth and dust and it can't satisfy our souls. But now we sit before you and we want to hear from you. 
We want to drink from you. Reveal yourself to us as the suffering servant, and may we understand you in a new way as we see you more clearly. Help us to drink, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a poem, and I want to show you the structure of the poem because Hebrew poetry is different than our poetry. You know, we rhyme maybe, or we there's a direct flow, but this poem that we're looking at today in Hebrew is very interesting because it begins, the first stanza of three verses is about the servant's ministry, and the last stanza at the end of chapter 53, is also about the servant's ministry. Those two are parallel. Then the next two sections are about the servant's suffering, and they also are parallel. 53, 1 through 3, and then 53, 7 through 9. And then the center section is verses 4 through 6. Hebrew poetry did this. It structured a poem this way so that you'd read through it, and then you go, wait a minute, let me see how this fits. And you'll see how everything points to the center section. That is what Isaiah wants us to focus on. That's what Isaiah wants us to really see as the main point of his poem. So we are going to begin with the beginning and the end. And then go to the next two sections. And we will finish up this morning with that center section, which is the key section. So I want to begin with the end of chapter 52 and... By the way, there's a chapter break here. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be there. So please ignore the chapter break. Because the beginning of the poem is in the end of chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, which really Isaiah is saying this. When this arm of the Lord, when the power of God, when the servant of God comes, he will have a worldwide impact. Notice how it begins. Behold, my servant will prosper. He'll act wisely. He'll, he'll do so well in life that he'll be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And then it says in verse 15, he'll sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. What he's saying is that my servant, when he comes, and Israel's listening, and they're, they're waiting, oh, what is this arm of the Lord going to be like? And Isaiah says, he'll prosper. He'll win the day. He'll have a worldwide impact. Kings will have to bow before him. He'll ultimately have authority over all the authorities on earth. The president will bow before him. Putin will bow before him. Khomeini will bow before him. Assad will bow before him. Every ruler who's ever lived, no matter how powerful, will bow before this servant. As Philippians chapter 2 says, verse 9 through 11, Therefore, because he went to the cross... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or earth or under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow at some point, some willingly and far too many unwillingly, but they will bow. But notice there's a strong hint in these verses, verse 14 in particular, that this exaltation will not be easy. It says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. Now we read this and we think, 
Well, yes, Jesus was tortured physically in a terrible way. And if you've seen the movie The Passion, you really get a sense of what Jesus went through physically. But, gosh, weren't other people marred more than that physically? Someone who has been blown up or in a terrible accident somehow? But I think the sense of what he's saying here could be a couple different things. One is that this is Messiah, the servant of the Lord, but he went through such suffering and pain and torture that he's unrecognizable as Messiah. This is not who you would expect Messiah to be. So his appearance is marred more than any man. But another way of looking at it is that he was marred physically, horribly, terribly, but he also carried the spiritual weight of the entire world and emotional suffering in his separation from the Father so that Jesus was marred far more than any man. He suffered far more than any human being has ever suffered. But the point of these verses, what Isaiah is saying at the beginning of this poem is he's going to have a worldwide impact. Now the last stanza, verses 10 through 12, Describe how this Messiah will win a great victory and will produce an entire new community. Let me read those verses to you. 53, 10 through 12. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. He'll justify the many. Verse 12, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he'll divide the booty with the strong, because he poured his soul out to death. What what is Isaiah describing here? He's saying this Messiah will win an incredible victory. It's like he'll divide the spoils like They've just defeated a massive army and they're just going through and picking up whatever they want because they've won an incredible victory. And it says he will see his offspring. He'll create, he'll produce this new community, a community that follows him, a community that's alive. And Israel is saying, awesome, that's great because we're in Babylon and we've lost our home and we've lost everything. We're in exile. And so the promise to the people of God is that This Messiah, by what he does, when he reveals the arm of the Lord, he will create a whole new community of the people of God. And so there's an anticipation here. But there's an anticipation that these people, you'll see it in these verses, and I'll let you read through them again on your own, 10 through 12, but that what creates this people of God is that they are a forgiven people. And isn't that true? What makes us the people of God, what binds us together, isn't because we follow certain rules or go to different certain churches or believe certain things. Ultimately, it's because we are a forgiven people. We are forgiven because of the cross. And that binds us together no matter who we are, no matter our background, no matter how tall we are, how short, what race we are, what gender we are, what background we are. It doesn't matter what makes the new people of God is that we are forgiven. So that's the hint. But he he begins and he ends the outsides of the poem with this sense of things are going to be great. And so Israel's saying, awesome, this this is terrific. But now he gets into the suffering of the servant. And what he says first is that this servant will be despised 
by us. 53.1 says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This section, 1 through 3, really talks about how people will treat him. And it says, these first couple lines are saying, people won't get it. They won't recognize him because, as humans, we're looking for this somehow powerful king that's going to dominate, and he comes under the radar. (laughs) And nobody sees who he really is. These verses are quoted by John in John chapter 12 and by Paul in Romans chapter 10. These same verses to say the Jews didn't get it. They had Jesus right in front of them and they didn't get it because their eyes weren't opened. They missed who he was, this Messiah who came to save the world because he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they thought they needed says this for in verse 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. A king should come in robes with a processional and a crown on his head. And how did Jesus come? Born in a stable to a couple of kids in poverty. Grew up in a little know-nothing town in Nazareth. Considered the backwaters of Israel. He was a carpenter. (laughs) Whatever. Nobody was impressed. When he did finally start his ministry, he traveled around on foot, being followed by a motley crew of men and women who were not very impressive themselves. He didn't build a church building or a temple He never went on TV for interviews. He didn't have a single Twitter follower. (laughs) And instead of exalting him, it says then in verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus was despised. Now, that word in Hebrew does not mean to look on somebody with disgust. Sometimes we think of that when we think despised, kind of our English word. Actually, the Hebrew word means to simply ignore and treat as insignificant. It's like the kid, you know, on the playground and you're picking teams for the game and you would never pick him. He's over off by himself. He doesn't have any friends to play with and you just ignore him. You'd pay no attention to him. That's this word despised. And it says that's what we did. We despised him. And notice how Isaiah personalizes it because verse 3 at the beginning, he was despised, but at the end he was despised and we did not esteem him. And if we're honest about our own lives, every one of us grew up in this world in which Jesus is treated as insignificant. And all of us despised him in that way at one point. But it's a reminder that none of us recognize Jesus as Savior because he doesn't appear like we expect him to come. None of us would recognize him as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, unless God opens our eyes. Who has revealed the arm of the Lord, Isaiah says. Only the Father can open our eyes. He was despised then, and he's despised today in our world. Treated as insignificant How did he suffer? 
despised by us, by me. Now, jumping down to verses 7 through 9, how else did he suffer? He was punished unjustly. Verse 1 through 3 talks about how mankind treated him, but verse 7 through 9 talks about how justice treated him. He was punished unjustly. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that's silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? And it goes on. In other words, it says that he was oppressed. He was treated unfairly, unjustly. He was innocent, but he took on our punishment. And notice that he went willingly. Sometimes people think, oh, yeah, you know, people who don't really understand. They say, oh, Jesus, yeah, he, um, you know, unfortunately, he had a good thing going, but He got on the wrong side of the Jews and the Romans, and so they picked him up and, you know, they they got rid of him. He was like a lamb that is silent before its shears. He went willingly. This was his choice. He chose this path. Jesus was not an unwilling victim of Jewish and Roman cruelty. He gave his life willingly. And brothers and sisters, that's the power of God. None of us can give our lives willingly for the sake of others without the power of God in us. That is the true power of God. That's the display of the arm of the Lord when someone does that. Verse 8 and 9, it says, He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He died unjustly. There was no deceit in his mouth, no violence. He wasn't like us. He didn't try to take power like man does. Although unlike all humans in their lust for power, Jesus responded differently. He didn't try to take control, but he gave up control. The power of God was displayed in him by his willingness to suffer for our sake. That's the greatest power of God. And in verse 10, it says this, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. In other words, this was the father's plan all along from before the beginning of time. This was not a human plot that happened. This was the father's plan out of love for us. So when you think of the power of God being displayed, this is it. And every time you or I set aside our own rights for the sake of someone else, when we could demand our rights and hang on to it, and we choose to put others first, we are displaying the power of God in a world that so misunderstands power. Now we want to look at that center three verses, those key verses, where he took up our brokenness. In your, in your bulletin, it says he took up our sin. And that I put that in there, but then I changed it for this outline because he took up more than our sin. And we'll see that as we look at these verses together. But I want to do something a little different. So I, bear with me, okay? Because I want to give God the opportunity to speak directly to your heart this morning. 
So what I want us to do is I'm going to read through these three verses several times, give you a prompting of what to focus on. But what I want you to do is just you listen to the word and let God speak to your heart. So bear with me. And what I want you to do right now is simply get comfortable right in your seat. Put things down, whatever you need to do. Relax, get comfortable. Take a deep breath or two so you can focus on it as I read the passage to you. And I'm going to give you a couple options. Either keep your eyes closed so you can just hear from God or focus on these incredible pictures up here that people in our body have created, Steve Humpke created, and just focus on those as I read the passage and let God speak to you, your heart through that. So I'm going to read through the passage first. I want you to just hear it and maybe listen for a, a phrase or a word that jumps out at you that you sense God wants you to especially hear. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace, our shalom, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. As I read through the passage again, this time focus on what this passage reveals about you and me. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, as I read it one more time, look for what this passage reveals to you about Jesus. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our shalom fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. 
All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Take a moment to just talk to Jesus about what you've seen. Amen. Uh, I love just getting quiet before the scriptures. Sometimes we're so hurried that we don't listen. I encourage you to listen. I want to highlight just a couple things from these verses. Notice what it says in verse 4, that he carried our infirmities, our sicknesses, our griefs, and our sorrows. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just bear our sin. He bore all the pains that we experience in life, all the struggles. He carried them and he enters into those with us so that whatever it is we go through, he's walking with us and he's carrying those sorrows. Verse 5, it talks about he carries, he bears our transgressions, our sins, those very things that separate us from God. And then verse 6, he carries our rebellion. All we like sheep wander off. We, we say, God, that's great, but I'm going to live life my way too often. Every one of us, all of us like sheep. But he carries that too, and he woos us back as the good shepherd. All these things. He enters into it and he bears it with us. And I hope as you thought about what this says about us, it says what a mess we are, but it also says how loved we are. That he would do this so that we might be healed and begin to walk in newness of life with him and begin to experience taking a full drink of him. Some concluding thoughts. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29 through 35, Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, Philip says, what are you reading? He says, Isaiah 53. <laughs> he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no. Is, it about, is this about the prophet or somebody else? And so Philip explains all about Jesus and what he's done and the true power of God, the arm of God being displayed through sacrifice, through suffering, through giving up his life for us. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, wow, if that's what God's like, let's find some water. I want to be baptized. I'm in. I want this. If you've never given your life to Jesus, listening to this passage today, I encourage you, Say, I'm in. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord so that he can begin to give you real life, not the life the world offers, the kind of power that's there, but a transforming life where God can begin to change your heart. Come to him. Say, I'm in. If you already know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to challenge you a bit. Let's stop looking to the world's way of getting things done in the kingdom of God. 
Stop being John and James. Let's stop calling down fire. Zap those guys. That is not God's way. Oh, in the end, he'll win the battle, but that's when he comes again. For now, the power of God, the true power of God, is not displayed through oppressing and overpowering others, brothers and sisters. The true power of God is displayed not by crushing others, but by willing to be crushed for their sake, for the sake of the gospel. We are all called to show the power of God like Jesus did through suffering for the sake of others. And in the book of Peter, 1 Peter, Peter has this exact passage in mind. He quotes it. And listen carefully to what he says. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 and following. For you, (laughs) me, have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So we might live a different kind of life, one like his in his steps. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. Do you think Peter has our passage in mind? (laughs) You are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. When we walk in his steps, when we choose to die to self, when we choose to be crushed for the sake of others. God defeats evil in this world. The power of God is released and hearts are transformed for his glory. And may we walk in his steps and may he get all the glory. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for taking on all our brokenness, all our pain, all our sin, all our rebellion, and giving us life so that we can walk in your steps and through us the power of God, the sacrificial power of love might be displayed. May we walk as your people. And may you get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.